Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hello, everybody. I am super excited today. Well, I'm always excited to record an episode of Shall We Go Through, but when this episode will be out, Downton Abbey, a new era, will be available worldwide. So everyone in the world will be able to see it. Hi, Emma, the editor here. When I recorded that, I truly believed that after the movie was out in the US, so after the 20th of May, it will be out everywhere. Well, apparently, I just realized that it is not true. And some countries don't have it yet, like Sweden. And I'm so, so sorry. Like, if you are listening to that and you are from the places where it isn't out yet, I am truly sorry. And I'm actually truly sorry that you have to wait. I think Sweden is like in July. And I think in Japan, they have to wait to usually Japan, like movies, they came out later than in the rest of the world. But I don't know if there's other places, but if it's not out yet in your country, I do sympathize, truly. To be honest, I don't know how people could have waited until the 20th of May. So I can't imagine how long it is for you if you have to wait until July. And I'm really, really sorry again. If you still have to wait, well, I promise you, it is worth it. Yeah, so now let's go back to the episode. And so I'm really excited because, well, since I've seen it, I just, I mean, I don't know how you guys can wait while well, you have no choice, but I don't know how you do it really. Like, I know since I've seen it, I have people that ask me for some spoilers because they were so like anxious to know what will happen. And I was like you, like I was so anxious, like my heart just stopped beating through the whole movie. But now, so when you will listen to this episode, everyone would be able to see it. So I really hope you liked it, but I think, I think you, you must have liked it. Like I haven't met someone yet that, or seen someone that told me that they did not like it. Like it's so great. I'm so happy because now everyone can talk about it without saying, oh, well, I can't say that because of the spoilers. Oh, well, no. And this is so good. So I'm really, 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 really happy, really excited for you. And if you didn't have the chance to see it yet, well, I mean, now it's going to be really soon. So I'm really happy about that. And I'm also really excited because today we're going to talk about the last episode of the first season of Downton Abbey. So episode seven. At the time when they shot it, they thought it was going to be like the last episode of the series. And it's a very long episode. There's so many things happened. I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm going to apologize right now because it's going to be very long. I know my, my, all my episodes are almost an hour long. I'm sorry, but I know I talk way too much, but there's so many things to talk about. And this one, I think is going to be long because the episode is longer than the others. It's like the first one. So yeah, I'm going to stop this intro right now. And we're going to start talking about episode seven of season one of Downtown Abbey that I called the one with the soaps. Let's start, shall we? So like I said, this is the last episode of the season. And the very beginning of the episode, I really like it because... The servants are cleaning the house and I think it's a good parallel with the first episode we saw because the first episode, when it started, it started with uh, the preparation of the house before breakfast, like we said, like a preparation of the show. 
you know, they were cleaning the house too. So I, I like this uh, parallel in the first and the last episode. And we're in July 1940. So when we see that, we know, I mean, you don't need to be like, have a lot of knowledge with history to know that 1914, you already know this is not a good year. We're going to start with Mrs. Papmore. Like we said, like two episodes before, she said that she was going blind. So, well, there's an issue here because if she's going blind, she can't cook. And well, Mrs. Hughes says we need to find a solution. And the family was away. They were in London for this season. So they came back at the beginning of the episode. And so Mrs. Hughes goes, uh, goes to see Robert to find a solution by Mrs. Patmore because she's very crude to Daisy, which is, well, it's, it's not nice because Daisy, she tries her best. So yeah, she goes to see Robert to find a solution. And at the moment, Robert asks Matthew the name of his cook. So first you're like, okay, why do you do that? And then actually Robert asks Mrs. Papmore and Anna to the library. And I love this scene because they're all in the servants hall. And Carson asks Daisy, can you uh, tell Mrs. Papmore that his lordship is waiting for her and Anna to the library? <laughs> and they're all shocked like his lordship wants Mrs. Patmore to go into the library. <laughs> like because it's something that never happens, especially the cook. She would stay in the kitchen all day. So why? And this, there's a line from uh, O'Brien that I thought was, Quite funny. We thought the assassination of an archduke was a surprise. So Anna and Mrs. Papmore, they go to the library. And you can say she's very frightened because she tries to uh, find excuses for her behavior and say, I can manage, I can do that. And so she doesn't even let him speak. And he says, like, please let me speak. Like, I am not going to sack you. And so he actually is sending her to London to see an eye specialist. And even tells her that she's going to stay at his sister's house and he wants Anna to go with her. So you just realize how there are no like the usual employers. I'm not sure there's a lot of employers that would have done that for one of their staff. So I think it's just really kind. But again, we already said but Robert is really kind and corrupt too. So. And so he says that while Miss Papmore is away, Mrs. Bird will replace her. And Mrs. Bird, so she's the cook of Isabel and Matthew. And I like the fact that I said that Anna is going with her because you realize that everyone loves Anna and trusts her. And since she's really a nice and helpful person, that she's the best choice to go with Miss Patmore. And they're right. And actually, so there's a, a scene at Crowley House when Matthew tells Mrs. Bird that Robert, so Lord Grantham, uh, has a favor to ask her. And she says, I'm surprised Lord Grantham knows that I exist, sir. I thought really funny because what makes it even funnier is the reaction of Isabel because she found it funny too. So then when Mrs. Bird arrives to the Abbey and, well, Mrs. Papmore, obviously she's not really pleased to lend her her place, even if it's just for a couple of days. And, well, cooks were known to be a bit bad-tempered, so literally... Mrs. Patmore versus Mrs. Bird is like the Clash of the Titans. <laughs> and then Mrs. Patmore, she asks Daisy to, I quote, poison the food. Just make sure they don't find her food all that agreeable. By poisoning her. Will you stop that? You don't want it to taste nice. I want them to be glad when I get back. That's all. 
and we can understand her a bit because obviously she need well, they need their jobs so what would she do like if she's sacked and replaced by mrs bird she might find a job elsewhere but it's be more difficult since she's not like really young and daisy daisy like i said she's really sweet because she's so young but yeah mrs pop was like a teacher to her so obviously she's going to follow what she said and when Mrs. Padmore arrives at the hospital in London, we can see that she's terrified. Uh, she just realized that there would be an actual operation. And I mean, it's still frightening today when someone has to have an operation. So I can't even imagine like a hundred years ago, like how terrifying it must be. But obviously Anna is with her and she tries to comfort her and tell her that everything will be all right. And I mean, this scene, I, I really like it because it's the, um, since this whole going blind uh, situation, Mrs. Papmore, you see that she is not just a bad tempered cook. Like she has, again, like every character, she has a heart. And so I really like her. I love Mrs. Papmore. Yeah, I was kind of sad for her. Like I wanted to hug her at that moment. She was so frightened. And so, well, you know, Mrs. Papmore asked Daisy to, to make sure that the food does not taste nice. And so we see her at the moment put some soap in the soup. And then upstairs, when dinner is finished, Cora tells Carson to tell Mrs. Bird that the dinner was delicious. So that is weird because we saw Daisy put soap in the soup. And I don't think that soap in soup is taste nice. So this is weird. And so after what well, Carson tells Mrs. Bird that they said that the dinner was delicious. And Daisy is surprised, like, oh, she can't have, like, I put soap in the soup. She can't have said it's delicious. I mean, come on. And, you know, all um, the servants are having dinner, and usually the cook always eats separate. But this time, Mrs. Yu said, oh, you're going to stay with us, Mrs. Bird. Like, she's used to dine with the other servants because there isn't a lot of servants in at Crawley House. And so they start to eat the soup, and then, well, you realize it's not good. And Mrs. Bird immediately blames Daisy. And so Daisy, this scene, um, I really feel so bad for Daisy because I think how much she thinks that she might get sacked. And so she said that she did that because of Mrs. Papon because she asked her to because she was afraid. Um, and she starts to cry. And oh my God, I mean, I really wanted to hug her, like poor Daisy. And Carson, she says, but this is likely they would want to sack her after everything that they've done to make her better. And obviously now you realize, well, yeah, of course they don't want to sack her because if they want to sack her, they'd they would have sacked her already. Um, but I like it because it's Mrs. Bird who comforts Daisy. So I thought it was really sweet of her. And she even says, There are worse crimes on earth than loyalty. And I think the more I rewatch the show, the more I like Daisy. And I love this scene. It's very sweet. And then Mrs. Patmore is back. And Mrs. Bird is still here. So she has a little fight with her because there's a garden party. And so Mrs. Bird and Mrs. Hughes starting the preparation of it. And so... Miss Papmore is like, I'm back. So can you just ask Miss Bird to go away? And so they have this little fight because Miss Papmore, she still has her eyesight and not like at its top. So they have this little fight. But then they became quickly allies against Mrs. Hughes because, well, we know that it's uh, Mrs. Hughes, the housekeeper that has the key uh, for the store cupboard. And Miss Papmore is always angry about that because she thinks she should have it. And so Mrs. Bird, when she realizes that she doesn't have the key to the store cupboard, she's like, what? Like, I've never not run my own store cupboard. Like, separate the cook from the store cupboard. 
Where's the sense in that? How long have I been saying this, oh Lord? Mrs Bird, I shall be very happy with your help with the garden party. <laughs> I'm sure we can manage it easily between the two of us. I really like it because, you know, once you have an enemy in common, well, you became ally really quickly. And I like it because when they cook together, it's really like, are you okay with that, Mrs. Bird? Yes, Mrs. Parfum. Like, I really like how like, they really became partners working together. And apparently they both have, um, they are really good friends with new technology. And when the phone is ringing, their faces, they're like, oh, what is that? But then in the end, Oswald ends well for Mrs. Parfum because she's back. I've done to Nabi and her eyesight is way better. So I talked about the telephone who is rigging because the telephone is coming to Townsend. Robert says to Carson that a man is going to come to install a telephone. And Carson's like, why? Why do we need a telephone? And well, of course, Carson is not very good friend with change. And he takes it a bit, like, not an insult to himself, but a bit. Like, oh, because you think the house would be better run if you have a telephone. Like, did I do something wrong? And Robert was like, no, but it's just the world is changing. We have telephone. We had it in London. It's going to be very much simpler, easier. We will have a telephone. Actually, they will have two telephones. One for upstairs and one for downstairs. When the guy who installed the telephone writes, he has a chat with Sybil because obviously she's interested. And the guy tells her that he needs a secretary. And then at that moment, she's like, oh my God, I have a secretary. Because Gwen didn't have the job. And so obviously she, Sybil hears that. She's like, okay, I know someone. She's the perfect candidate. So she gave Gwen's application. But then Mr. Bromage, so the guy who installed the telephone, he's kind of skeptical about Gwen because she doesn't, have experiences. As a reference, like Sybil said, she said that you can put me as a reference. So she asked Sybil, but it's like, I see you and you don't have a business. So what is she doing? And while Sybil just say the truth, actually, she doesn't have really experiences as a secretary because she's a housemaid here. And obviously she didn't want to say that because if you want to be a secretary, maybe saying that you're a housemaid is not the best idea. But he said, well, I have nothing as housemates. Like my mother was a housemaid and they know about long hours and hard work. So, I mean, maybe we could just have a chat together. So he wants to interview Gwen and Sybil tells him to go to the library. And she says, I'm going to keep watch and make sure nobody disturbs you. And obviously at that moment, Robert wants to go to the library, but Sybil prevents him to go in there. And his face and what he says, I love it. I cannot use my library because one of the housemaids is in there applying for another job. It's about size of it. It's like, okay, I'm leaving. And then we have a very funny scene with Carson and the telephone practicing his answer. And <laughs> so obviously he's practicing, but he doesn't know that there is someone, there is someone in the other end of the line. <laughs> and so like he has this kind of little fight with the person that, is on the other line of the telephone. But I like how he wants to be very professional that he has to prepare and practice and repeat to know exactly what he would say because it's it's a reputation of the house. I think in his head he thinks, if I do not answer it properly, the whole reputation of the house is at stake because Cass is drag queen. And so, well, so we said at, uh, during the garden party, Carson's telephone is ringing. And so Branson is answering it because nobody wants to enter it. And we don't know what was said, but we see him go find Sybil. And together they found Gwen. 
and well, Gwen got the job. So now she's a secretary. It's this really sweet moment. Like they, they're all happy. They hug the three of them. Obviously, Mrs. Justice is like, oh, okay, what is happening? And Sybil and Branson are holding hands. When Gwen tells Mrs. Yu, like, oh, I'm going to be a secretary. I'm going to leave service. Like, my dream has come true. And when Mrs. Yu's like, well, yeah, okay, we're going to celebrate that after the garden party. Like, go back to work. And Mrs. Yu, she's not duped. She has sensed that and she has noticed that Branson and Sybil were a bit too close. She has sensed that Branson likes Sybil maybe a bit too much. I think she noticed the hand-holding. And so she tells Sybil that her mother was looking for her just to break them apart. And she says to him, Be careful, my lad, or you'll end up with no job and a broken heart. He acts like he doesn't understand what she's saying, but, I mean, we're not stupid. Mrs. Hughes is not stupid, so she knows. But again, that is a happy ending for Gwen because she has a job as a secretary thanks to Sybil. So, happy ending. Now, let's talk about Bates and Anna. So, we know that Bates went to prison for theft. And so, he wanted to give his resignation, but Carson wanted to discuss it with Robert first. Obviously, Thomas wonders why Bates is still there, because he did everything he could. So, Bates would go away and he's still there. And so, well, obviously, with O'Brien, they're plotting again. And she received a letter from another lady's maid, and apparently it is about Bates. And together, they put pressure on Carson about Bates, and they give him the letter. So apparently, it's something that, like, it's something that if you see that, there is no way that Bates would still be here. Like, it's a proof about, I don't know, maybe the fact that he's actually a thief. I don't know, but they want him gone. And so Carson goes to speak with Bates about the letter. And Bates does not deny it. Since he said that he was uh, in prison for theft, he wants to give his resignation. Like he's not going to deny that, I don't know what is written in this letter, but that yes, he was a thief. And you can see that Carson is very bothered by this whole situation because he trusts and respects Bates. And he's really bad. Because what he saw of Bates is he's not a bad person. And I do believe that Carson, he knows how, how much his lordship is fond of him. So, yeah. And I even like when he says, I hope you don't find me too harsh. She said that, well, I need to show this to his lordship. So I hope you're not angry at me for that. And Bates like, well, on the contrary. I'm astonished at your kindness. Because since he gave his resignation, Carson didn't want it. So it's almost like, I want to leave, but you don't want me to leave. And well, like he said, Carson talks about it with Robert. But Robert finds it odd, like we know more about why he went in prison. And Robert's like, I mean, this is weird. He even says, I, I do not see Bates as just a petty thief, like maybe an assassin. Like he doesn't feel like Bates. And Carson too, he's, if I odd also, he mentions Thomas and O'Brien, like they're the one that have been plotting since the beginning to get Bates sacked. And I like Robert's reaction when Carson mentions Thomas and O'Brien. Like really, there's a moment of, okay, it's almost like a conspiracy. And so after that, Robert asks Bates some questions about his time in prison. But Bates doesn't want to say more than the thing that he already knows. But Robert thinks there's more to it. Like he's like, I don't believe it. And even Anna says, well, I believe there's more to it. And apparently his lordship too. So why don't you say the truth? 
And there's a sweet, kind of sad moment when she asks him, will you miss me? Because she's going to London with Mrs. Padmore. And he answers her, try not to miss me. It'd be good practice. And it's sad because we know, like, she confessed her love for him and he kind of did too. So, yeah, it's quite sad. And they almost kissed last episode. So, yeah. Then Robert's talking about this whole bait situation with Cora. And we know that Cora was never really keen on Bates. If you remember the first episode, like the whole idea of having a lame valet was odd to her. But now that they know that he was a thief, it's even odder. Like she's like, why are you keeping him? Well, we can't understand her a bit if you just see, because Robert has always been on Bates' side because he's been through things with him and he really considered him as a friend. But then Robert say, yeah, but even Carson is not keen to let him go. He thinks there's more to it. And obviously that is the moment you think there is more because Carson is the one who wanted to get rid of Bates in the beginning. And now he doesn't want to because he thinks there's more to it. So even Cora is intrigued, like what's his reasons? And, and Robert says, well, he blamed Thomas and O'Brien because, well, since the beginning, they've been plotting against Bates. And what happens next in this scene? We're going to talk about it later. When Anna is in London, she's looking for information on Mr. Bates because, again, she doesn't let go because she's sure there's more to it than just he stole something and he went to prison. So she goes to the Duke of York's barracks. I made some research about it because I didn't know what it was. And originally, it was a school for the children of soldiers' widows, but the school moved in 1909. So basically, it's a military building. So she talks to a military man. And he says that it was an odd business. So again, Anna is intrigued because everybody thinks it's odd. And the man gives her the address of Bates' mother. So she goes to see Bates' mother. And she tells her that it, actually it was his wife who was the thief. But Bates took the blame because he thought that he ruined his wife's life. Apparently, after he returned from the war, he was very difficult. He was not nice. And where well, he started to drink too much. And so he thought that he ruined his wife's life. So he decided to take the blame for her. So we know that Bates is not guilty. So when she comes back from London, Anna goes to see Robert. And I like this scene because Robert is at his desk in the library. And he can sense that someone is coming. He doesn't think it's Anna. I think he thinks it's Carson. And so when he sees her, it's like, oh, Anna. And so she tells her what she learned in London. And then, well, Robert tells Bates that he won't be leaving Downton. And that that's the good news. He won't be leaving Downton. And he says that in the mo one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the show. Really, truly. Like, I'm going to talk about this scene later. In the end, Bates is staying. And then Anna, she asks him if he's not angry at her for med research about this whole situation. He says no, but like she shouldn't have. He even says to her that his mother liked her. And then um, he has a conversation with Mosley because Mosley, he's interested in Anna. And so he asks Bates if she has someone in mind and if someone is keen on her. And obviously he asked the wrong person because well, Anna is in love with Bates and Bates is in love with Anna. He keeps himself to himself. And it's very hard to read at times, but I'd say he's keen. I'd say he's very keen indeed. It's the way that they confess or admit something without saying it's them you know like when he him and Anna had a conversation about uh, Patrick and Edith and it turns out to be about them 
but it's a bit like that too and i really like it so again it's quite happy ending for bates too and anna because anna is really happy that bates is staying because she's in love with him and he's staying so that's good for him because i don't know how he would have found a job so now let's talk about thomas because thomas we say already he's a bully and he has always been true to william but in this episode it's even more because um well william he went home to see his mother before she died and well now his mother is dead and thomas makes nasty comment about his mother's death again i always say i understand thomas a bit like i feel sorry for him sometimes but that is really it's pure cruelty it's just being mean for the fact of being mean especially making comments about the death of someone's parents like he doesn't even respect others so i really don't like him for that and then thomas is in carson's office and we can see that he's searching in the pockets of his coat and he has his wallet in his hand and that moment uh, mosley comes in and he sees that and he senses that you know it's not really right like we're not blind we're not stupid well mosley isn't either like when it comes to thomas and o'brien we no one is blind or stupid except cora and daisy <laughs> for now and then dr clarkson came to the house or something that we're going to talk about later and thomas goes to speak with him because he senses that a war is coming like we said we're in july 1914 so he says that a war is coming and he wants to volunteer for the territory of course hospital and well obviously he wants to leave because he senses that they will sack him because they know he's a thief like he stole the wine uh he can't stop plotting against space so he knows that he's, gone, he's not going to last long in this house where well, no one loves him but i mean that's a bit his fault you know because he doesn't love anybody well he wants to appear really cold and he's mean so i mean obviously no one likes him and he even says that to o'brien he doesn't want to get killed in battle because obviously if a war is coming all the men will go to war it's sad but it's how it usually happens and like a lot of people i think he doesn't want to go to the front and get killed because well that's kind of scary so he thinks that being that working for the hospital will be a nice prospect for him and then in the servants hall everyone is sad about the miscarriage well because i haven't talked about that but you have seen the episode so everyone is sad except thomas this scene is very sweet because you can see how what's happening upstairs affects the life downstairs but again we know it they are good employers like they are nice people so obviously i think that when there's a happy event everyone is happy but when something sad happened they're sad too like you know when patrick and james died they were sad and this moment it just it kind of breaks my heart a bit this whole storyline with the miscarriage breaks my heart but to see them really sad because you say you know in a way it's like saying it's not because you are from the aristocracy that your life is just sunshine and that something bad like that cannot happen to you but like i said everyone is sad except thomas and oh i want to punch him so hard in the face at that moment because he has no respect like we say he has absolutely no respect and everyone says that to him like even daisy and i think it's that moment when it really opens Daisy's eyes. Like I think her relationship with Thomas changed last episode when 
she realized that Thomas asked her to lie to get rid of Bates. But now when he says that, she even says to him, don't be unkind. And William, well, William, he's very angry because he can't stand Thomas. And Thomas has been cruel to him all the time. And he was like, Is there nothing left on earth that you respect? And well, Mrs. Hughes is also very, very angry. And then Thomas, again, is very cruel to William and makes new nasty comments about his mother's death. And that is too much for William. And he punches him. And I want to say, yes, William, thank you, because I've been dying to do this for a while now, but especially in this episode, I'm like, yes. And they fight. This scene is very satisfying, truly. And Carson and Branson try to uh, separate them. And Branson even said he had it coming. And yes, like Thomas, he was asking for it. Like we, I'm not saying that, you know, fighting and violence is the solution, but he, he was asking for it, like truly. And there's a line that was cut that I read in the script book where Mrs. Hughes says to Carson, if you punish him for that, I'll punish you. And I like it because, I mean, really, be honest, everybody knew that Thomas had it coming, so I'm totally with William. Like, if he, if he hadn't punched Thomas, I would have done it myself. And then at the garden party, Clarkson tells Thomas that he has been accepted in the army medical corps. So Thomas is very happy because, I mean, he's going to leave. And we knew that he was going to leave because uh, prior to that, Mosley told Carson about Thomas being in his office. And so Carson, he told Robert. And so they were, we have the proof that he has been caught red-handed. We have the proof he's the thief. And I like when Robert says, well, we already knew he was a thief, right? So they all agree that he has to go. And so obviously when at the garden party, Thomas says to Carson that he's leaving because he has been accepted into the army medical corps. Why well, Carson and Mrs. Yoda are really pleased because it would save them to sack him. And you couldn't have planned that any better either. Carson then tells Robert that he's pleased, like, well, that's a relief. I mean, we've gone, finally, we're going to get rid of him. Well, they think they're going to get rid of him. Bananas. And the bright spot of this whole storyline, Thomas being really cruel, is that Daisy, she finally saw Thomas's true face and she apologizes to William. And he's like, no, it's okay. I like when he says you were under an evil spell. And they say, well, we're friends. Yes, always friends. And so I like it because now Daisy, she understood and... Yeah, and I like that she's the one that saw it, like, because everybody tried to tell her that Thomas is not a nice guy. She discovered, like, the true Thomas herself. So I think it's quite good. But, yeah, I want to say it's kind of a happy ending for Thomas, too, because he was, he was going to get sacked, and now he's going to the Army Medical Corps because he thinks, you know, there's a war coming, and he thinks, I'm going to be safe there. Well, not ready for what's going to happen. Bananas. Okay, so we talked about all servants. Now let's talk about our upstairs family and Edith. Uh, because we know that Edith, she got Strand's attention after Mary kind of rejected him. And she's really happy about it. Because finally she has something that Mary can't have. And, you know, when Strand went to to invite her to go with him at a concert, 
Mary first thought it was her who was invited, but actually was inviting Edith. So she kind of won against Mary on that. So she's really happy. Where well, we talked about how Edith is kind of uh, not mistreated by her parents, but they usually put her aside. You know, even Robert realized they say we never seem to talk about Edith. Well, yeah. And we see that again when Cora says to Sybil, well done. Like she was a success in London. This is very good. Like she's proud of her. And Edith, she's like, well, you never say that to me. And so Cora, she, she's like, oh, don't I? Well, you were very helpful, dear. Thank you. But it's completely different. You know, it's, she said that because she, Edith made her realize like you never say something nice to me. <laughs> and so I, I think it's quite sad for Edith because nobody has her back, you know, because Cora's intention is on Mary, especially since the whole Pamuk situation. But it's also on Sybil because it was her first season and she's the baby and Cora's favorite. And I believe Robert is like, he's concerned, but not that much because he doesn't really understand his girls. So he looks at them for a bit afar. But then she has Stralen, so she's happy about that. And Stralen comes to take her for a spin with his car and she's very happy. So to be honest, I, the part of me is like, you do not want to marry him like he's an old man. But I think part of her really wants it because he likes her. Not her because she's Mary's sister. No, he likes her. And so, you know, I can understand her. That she wants to, for once, she wants to feel wanted. And then even when Violet says to her, a moment she says, oh, Anthony Strahan asked after you uh, when you were in London. She's very pleased. But Violet and Kawhi even uh, talk together. And like, Kawhi's like, is she serious about him? Because, you know, like, it's funny that she says that because she she pushed him at Mary, but she's like, I'm not sure that for Edith it's right, but for, I think she's serious now because finally someone acknowledged her as a person and not just as Mary's sister or Sybil's sister or just the daughter of the Earl of Grantham. She, like, really, he likes her. And so after dinner, Cora asks her how was to drive and Edith, where well, she is over the moon, you can see that. And she says that apparently Strand has a question to ask her and he wants to ask her at the garden party and he hopes she would say yes. So obviously you understand that he wants to propose. And Cora, she's a bit surprised like, oh, well, you need to think very carefully about what you will answer because marriage is for life. But you can see obviously that Edith, she's like, I'm going to say yes. Obviously, finally, the first mother, you know, are interested in me and is not supposed to marry Mary I mean I'm gonna say yes but at the garden party Stralen leaves without proposing and she doesn't understand because everything was so right everything was perfect she's like what, what happened well Mary intervened Mary talked to him and well in her own words made him understand that Edith was not interested so well he was hurt and he didn't ask her and so Edith is very sad. And so it is not a happy ending for Edith. And all that thanks to Mary. So because of Mary, Edith thinks of her proposal. But why did she do that? Let's talk about our favorite feud, Mary versus Edith. So we know that Edith wrote to the Turkish ambassador. And the rumor has spread. The flinchers knew about it. They sent letters. We saw that in a previous episode. Well, Carson actually knows where he doesn't think it's true, but he knows. Violet knows 
and now Violet is a good ally to Cora. I feel like everybody knows the rumor except Robert. And so Mary stayed a bit in London with Rosamond when the family came home and Evelyn Napier comes to see her. He comes to see her to talk about the gossip, the gossips about her and Kamala Pamuk. He wants her to know that he's not the source of the gossips. And you can see how Mary, she's a bit surprised because I think she thought that he was. And so she's like, who is it? Like, and apparently the gossips come from the ambassador himself. So Mary's like, yeah, but who told the ambassador if you didn't? And he, you can see that he's not comfortable. This is the hard part. When I discovered the answer, I debated whether I should relay it. But in the end, I feel you ought to know. The suspense is killing me. It was your sister, Lady Edith, who wrote the ambassador. That is why people accept the story. Edith. It is very hard to believe. Harder for you than for me. It's not hard for us to believe it either, especially that we already know it's her. Then Mary, she confronts Edith, and this is the climax of their feud, really. And, you know, and, and I like when she says, did you wrote to the ambassador that came out? She's like, well, why do you ask me if you already know it's true? And this, well, this, this, is, this is big fight. And Edith says, He had a right to know how his countrymen died in the arms of a slut. And that is a real slap in the face for Mary. It's quite funny when you think about it because there are, I think, through the whole show, two big fights between Mary and Edith. They had each other's throats all the time, like Cora said, but there really are two big fights. This one and the one that is going to happen in the last season. And I think this is a good echo, like it's a good parallel. Really, it is. I mean, when I think about the scene in season six, it really makes me think about this one, Bananas. Well, like we said, Mary, she's at that moment, she's a bit, you can see that it was hard for her. But uh, to be honest, I do not believe that Edith thought this through, you know, when she wrote to the ambassador, because she didn't realize that if people knew that it was not only Mary's reputation, but the reputation of the whole family that were at stake, including her own. And so, yeah, I don't believe she, yeah, really thought this through. But like I said before, when it comes to the two of them, Mary and Edith, they are immature, surely. Like they do not see or think further than just, I hate her. And so when after dinner, Cora and Edith are talking about Stralen and him wanting to propose to Edith. And Cora, like I said, said to Edith, you have to think very carefully but what she will answer. But Mary intervenes and she says, yeah, I should think very carefully about a lot of things. And the look she gives Edith when she says that and the way she's saying it, that does not sound good at all. And well, we were right because Mary has her revenge. At the garden party, she finds Stralen before he has a chance to talk to Edith. And she talks to him and she, like I said, make, she makes him understand that Edith doesn't care about him. Like, uh, there's an old man she's trying to avoid, you know, like apparently he was proposed, but I mean, it's a joke for her. Like she doesn't care about him. And obviously he's hurt, so he does not propose. And I think this is really, it's not really nice because she didn't, with that, she wasn't just mean to Edith. She was mean to Stratton too. And so she ruined Edith's chance of happiness. Oh, it's funny because when I said that, 
It does ring a bell. Bananas. But like I said, she can't stop. You know, I said, sometimes you have to be the bigger person say, I'm going to stop this fight. This is stupid. And she can't do it. She always have to have the last word. And she thinks by doing that, she's better than her sister. But actually, that made her worse. But um, to be honest, Edith and Mary in season one, I'm not sure I like either of them because of that. Sybil is the best. If you had to pick which one is better than the other two, well, it's definitely Sybil. Like, she doesn't even try to be the best, she just is. Now, well, so let's talk about my favorite storyline of this episode and also the most heartbreaking one for me. And since it's kind of mixed up with two others, I would separate them, but it just goes all together. Because we talk about Cora and Robert, you know, they kind of go together. So Clarkson is here and Robert, when he sees that, he's like, oh my God, something happened. Cora is ill, like someone's going to die. Doctor means bad news for him. And so when Doctor's like, no, she's not very ill. And he's like, okay, I'm going to see my wife. And well, actually, she's not ill. She is pregnant. And this scene, my God, this and I love this scene so much because it is funny and sweet all at the same time. Pregnant? You need me quite so shocked. Give me a moment. You haven't been pregnant for 18 years. And I'm pregnant now. I don't understand what we've done differently. Stop right there. If you want to know more, go down and offer the doctor some whiskey. I can't take it in. But you pleased? Of course. Of course I'm pleased. <laughs> Robert's face when he learns that Christ's pregnant is like, what? I just like where he has to sit on the bed like, oh, well, give me a moment. And I like her reaction. Like, why are you so shocked? You know, it's not like... Because, well, we all know in the, in the fandom that they have a lot of terrific fun, bananas. So, like, why are you shocked that I am pregnant? And I like when he says, well, I don't understand why, what we've done differently. Because you haven't been pregnant for 18 years. So, you know, even if we do have a lot of terrific fun, why are you pregnant now? And why you not have been for 18 years? And I think you can feel and see his brain, like everything, trying to work this out. Like, what did I do? What did we do? How could that have happened? But then I love it when she says, but you're pleased. Like she's, she was, I think she was a bit, a tiny bit scared that he wasn't. And he's like, well, of course I'm pleased. And this is so cute. Well, I'm sorry, but this is so cute because we have our first COVID kiss. We had to wait until the end of the season to have it, but this is so cute and they hug and I love it and I love this scene so much. And I love them so much. Well, Robert is donk, so we already know that. And so he talks with Claxon because he doesn't really understand the whole thing. And so Claxon tries to reassure him, say, well, yeah, it's unusual. And Robert's like, unusual? It's biblical. Uh, not quite. And so Claxon tries to explain to him what could have happened. But, well, Robert's medical explanation, yeah, that, that doesn't go well together. I think the least he knows, the better he is, you know. He's really happy. I mean, just don't talk to him about medical explanation. But he's really happy. Oh, and I love it. So, obviously, this could change everything. Because if Cora has boy, he would be the heir. And so, well, Matthew would not be the heir anymore. But then, like I said, everyone is happy, even uh, downstairs too. I love when Mrs. Hughes says, I like the idea of a baby in the house. Like, kind of cheered up everyone a bit. Like, everyone's a bit jolly. 
And so Mr. Susan Carson, they talk about it and he even says it would be really hard on Mr. Crawley because in the end he ended up liking him. And even Mrs. Hughes is like, oh, well, I never thought I would hear you say that. Violet is pleased too. She says so to Cora at the Dower House. But again, this could change everything. And so Robert, he tells Matthew that he could give them Cory House for life if, you know, he's not the heir anymore. Because he really likes him like a son. And I think he's, he's kind of conflicted because he's really happy to have another child. And imagine if it's a son, it would be like all his dream would come true. And I mean, technically, that was what they were supposed to do, you know, having an heir and they didn't. So I think it would be really happy. And Cora would be extremely happy because, well, she's still blaming herself for not having a son. So and Matthew and Isabel, they talk about it. And she's a bit bitter about the whole thing. Like, oh, they, they will give us this house. Oh, how generous. But Matthew, he said, well, of course it's generous. Like, it's not their fault. I mean, he doesn't have to. The one that have nothing to lose with this are actually happy because, you know, they don't care if it's a boy or a girl. But, you know, for Matthew, even for Isabel, for Mary, for a lot of people, it could change everything. So it's a bit difficult for them to be like really happy about this wonderful news. But Cora, she says to Violet, I'm sure it's another girl. Like, you know, I had three girls. I think, yeah, there's no chance it would be a boy. And then a conversation between Robert and Matthew. And I really, really love this conversation because Matthew's like, well, everything has changed for me. And Robert's like, well, not necessary because... I don't seem to be much good at making boys. And I like it because he doesn't blame Cora. Well, I never believed that he did. But, you know, society always usually blames the mother. And so I love the fact that he says, no, he even says we. Like, we do not seem to be much good at making boys. He says I. And so I find it really sweet. And I like him because we know that Karasi blames her. So I love the fact that he, he takes responsibility in it too. And <laughs> tiny, really funny moment uh, before Cora goes into the bath. She talks with Violet and Violet says, well, your mother wanted to come. And Cora's face, oh God, oh, please no. It's like, no, I told her to wait, to wait until the baby is born. She's like, oh yeah, good idea. But then, like I said, Cora is in the bath. And when she comes out of it, she slips on the bar of soap and she falls. And she loses the baby. Thank you, O'Brien. So there's more to that, but we're going to talk about it later. So it's very sad, like we said. And then you have one of my favorite scene of this episode, one of my favorite scene of the show, one of my favorite scene of Robert. Like this scene, I it's so heartbreaking. Robert is crying. Well, actually, you see Robert in his dressing room looking at the window and Bates comes in. And then when he turns around, you see that he's crying. And then he says, it was a boy. And he's so heartbroken. It breaks my heart. I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. I'm not embarrassed. I just wish you could have been spared this. <laughs> I know you'd. Thank you. Well, the good news is you won't be leaving Downton. And I need some good news today. And this scene just... It, it, well, it's personal, but I really enjoy uh, in movies, TV shows, anything, when we see men crying. Because I do believe that still now, there is this, this stupid toxic masculinity when people say you know men shouldn't cry because it's makes them weak i feel it's bullshit and so every time i see like 
men that appease strong ends and have really like strong positions and stuff. Breaking. I love it. Well, it's really sad that I love it. But like I said, this is one of my favorite scenes of Robert because we haven't seen them mourning their unborn child together with Cora. But just this in him crying alone in his dressing room, which means he's just next to his wife's room. I think a part of me thinks that he wanted to be alone because he wants to be strong for her. That's how I imagine it. But he wants to be strong for her, so he doesn't want to cry in front of her. Yeah, I said it. I repeat myself a lot, but this thing just breaks my heart. It's really weird to say that I love it, but I love how it's made. The fact that he's crying in front of Bates shows again that they are just, they're more than just servants. Like they have a really trusting relationship. And because, you know, episode one, Bates, he tried to not cry in front of him. And then you have Robert actually crying. And yeah, I just, I love this scene. And like we said, everyone is being sad downstairs because it's sad. And at the garden party, well, Cora is very sad. You can see that she is, but she tries not to show it. And that breaks my heart too. Because a part of me thinks that she's blaming herself for losing the child. Like she was blaming herself for not having a son and that she could have had one. She's blaming herself because she thinks, I don't know, if I if I've been more careful, if I didn't fall, the baby was to be here. So again, broken my heart. But then to put the pieces of my heart together, we have one of the cutest Corbett scene with Robert and Cora holding hands and him asking her, Are you warm enough? I am when you're holding my hand. This scene, I mean, aren't they the cutest? They're the best. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all other ships out there. I love other ships too, but them, I mean, they're the best. I'm sorry. This scene is just, I mean, this episode just, I was happy Then it broke my heart. Then put the pieces a bit back together. Just, that's it. That's it for me. I, I love them so much. So, we know that Cora falls because of O'Brien. But why? Why did she do that? Well, Violet has a conversation with Cora. And she thinks that her maids will give her her notice. I mean, why would you want to leave me? I've been as gentle as a lamb most of the time. When she says that, Cora's face, she's like, ooh, are you sure? Like, I doubt it. Like, I doubt that you were as gentle as a lamb. I think a part is like, well, you know what? I think I understand why the maid wants to leave. But then Violet was right. Her maid is leaving to get married. I mean, how could you be so selfish? I do sympathize. Robert's always wanting me to get rid of O'Brien, but I can't face it. Anyway, she's so fond of me. Well, I thought Simmons was fond of me. Lol. I mean, Cora, I love you, but O'Brien is not your friend. She doesn't like you. I mean, if Robert wanted to get rid of her, it's because she is... O'Brien is trouble. Like, she likes to cause trouble. She is always plotting. I mean, she is nasty. Of course he wanted to get rid of her. Like, when you see her, you think something not good is going to happen. But then Cora says to Violet that she can put an advertisement for her to find a new lady's maid. And when Cora and Robert are talking about Bates, you know, when Cora is like, why Carson doesn't want to let him go? And Robert says, well, he blames Thomas and O'Brien. And so Cora says, as a kind of a joke. So I should sack O'Brien instead. You'll hear no argument from me. But obviously, this is the moment 
when O'Brien enters the room and so she heard everything and you can see that Cora she's not very comfortable with that so O'Brien talks about it with Thomas and she's like okay so she wants to sack me she really thinks that she even says to Thomas well if they sack me you are going to be next and after dinner Thomas is crying violent talking about the advertisement so he tells O'Brien because they, okay she has put an advertisement so she's trying to find me a replacement before sacking me and then after that in Cora's room Violet and Cora are talking about the answers to the advertisement and O'Brien she is next door in the bathroom and she hears everything and she really believes that they try to find her a replacement I like the acting in this scene because you can see that she's hurt because obviously if she's sacked Usually if you are sacked, you don't really have a reference. So it's hard to find a new job without a reference. And you can say she's really hurt because she said, you know, I've given 10 years of my life to her. She's just, you know, sacking me without any reason. And so after that, Cora's in the bath, like we said, and she asked questions to Brian about ladies' mate. And the soap falls and breaks in two and Brian picks one piece and gives it to Cora. But she moves the other where Cora would go out. And you can see after that, Oran, she has a moment of doubt. She's like, no, what did you do? Like, this is not you. Like, this is not the solution to the problem. And when she changes her mind, well, she hears a shout and a fall. So yeah, like I said, it's because of O'Brien that Cora lost her baby. And so I thought that now was a, a good moment to give you the French word of the day. And I decided that it would be soap because, well, this is the murder weapon, okay? And well, soap in French, it's savon. And it's uh, masculine, so it's un savon. And it's written S-A-V-O-N. It's like in my title, the one with the soaps. Well, it's celui avec les savons. So yeah, soap in French, it's savon. And O'Brien, she feels very guilty, as she should, you know. And so when I said in the servants' hall, they're all sad, we can see that she's very affected. And at the garden party, she is very, very, very nice to Cora because she feels guilty. And after having a chat with Violet, she discovers the truth about the advertisement. She discovered that the advertisement was to find a lady's mate for Violet and not to replace her. And so she feels even more guilty about it. The conclusion of this whole storyline is that O'Brien doesn't know Cora at all because Cora, she would never tease her like that. Like she would never, you know, send some clues like that to tell her that she was going to sack her. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but she is really nice. And she thought that O'Brien loved her, but she's so nice. She never would have done that. And that's why I think, you know, she said, I gave her 10 years of my life, but she doesn't know her actually, because if she knew her, she would realize that no, Cora would never just like ask you how long do you think it would take to a lady's maid to get settled like it's like a bit of torture and Cora is not like that so a part of me thinks you know if she knew her she would just have asked the question like I've heard that you put an advertisement you know, for a lady's maid and maybe Cora would have said yes it's for like Violet maybe you can help us but I just I'm angry about this because if she knew her she would realize that Cora would never have sacked her like ugh. I'm really angry about this because I really want them to have a baby. So yeah, we talked about approximately 
everybody except our heir. So now we're going to talk about Mary and Matthew. Because last episode, Matthew proposed. And she even said that she thinks she loves him. But she wants to tell him about Pamuk. And so when Rosamond and Mary are walking together, she tells her that she said to Matthew that she would give him an answer when she comes back from London. And then there's this funny line from Rosamond when she says, Oh, there's no secret Cora can keep for more than a month. You'd be surprised. Yes, Rosamond, you'd be surprised because, I mean, it was in 1913, if I'm not mistaken, so it's more than a year. Okay, so, well, apparently Cora can keep secrets. And like we said, Matthew's prospect could change because if Cora has a boy, the boy would be the heir. And so Rosamond tells Mary to say, well, you just wait until the baby is born. And Mary, she's conflicted because she loves Matthew. She even says, I don't think I want to put him off without the title. But she also wants to have nice prospects. And she was kind of raised to be the next Countess of Grantham because she was supposed to marry Patrick, then Matthew. So the idea of not having a really nice prospect and just being like the wife of the country story story, is not something that she's very keen on. But then, Violet, she says, do not pay attention to what Rosamond said. Listen to me. If you take Matthew now, when his whole future is at risk, he will love you to the end of his days. Why, Granny, you're a romantic. I've been called many things, but never that. Love, love this. <laughs> Very funny, but she's right. And then she's like, but Mary can always change her mind if the baby is a boy. But Mary's like, no, like, it's, it's not a nice thing to say. And I'm on a bit on Mary's side because she wants to tell him about Pamuk because not telling him would be dishonorable. And so this is the same, you know, saying yes now and then withdraw if it's a boy would be dishonorable too. And so I, I'm a bit on her side. And then, well, Violet says to Cora, she asks her to not let Mary wait until the baby is born because... If she won't say yes when he might be poor, he won't want her when he will be rich. And Mary and Matthew are together outside and he's angry because he thinks that she doesn't want him anymore because of the baby. And he even says, I think this is black and white. Do you love me enough to spend your life with me? And you can see that she says, I want to, and she, she stops. So I think upon her when say, I want to say yes. But again, I think she doesn't want to appear too sentimental. She tells him about her grandmother's family. Granny told me I should say yes now, then withdraw if you lost everything. To make that work, you'd have to be a good liar. Are you a good liar? Well, not good enough to try it, apparently. And I'm still a bit on her side because she's conflicted. Because, yeah, when you've been raised to maybe be the next Countess of Grantham, maybe being a Duchess, or I don't know. And she has lived all her life being the daughter of an earl, so she knows that way of life. And change everything to be, I don't know what prospect is to be wife of the country solicitor, but obviously it's different. But she also loves him. So she's conflicted and she wants to do what's best at that moment. And well, she just fades. Then Matthew actually argue with his mother. He even says to her, don't speak against Mary. She is sure that if Mary has changed her mind, it's because of Violet. And Matthew is angry and he orders Isabel to not go after Violet. But after dinner, 
Violet, she tries to have a conversation with Isabel, but she, Isabel is crossed at Violet. And she's like, well, what have I done wrong now? And so Isabel tells her, oh yeah, because let's not pretend that it's not your fault that Mary now doesn't want to marry Matthew. Well, I shall pretend it. I told her to take him. Your quarrel is with my daughter Rosamond, not me. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Then when we have the conversation between Robert and Matthew, and when Robert tells him that he doesn't seem to be very good at making boys, Robert tells him that he would be very proud to have him as a son-in-law, whatever his prospect. And I think this is really sweet and kind and nice of him to say that because we realize that he really, really likes Matthew. And not just because he's his heir, but because he really likes him. And then, well, Matthew tells him. Unfortunately, sir, your daughter is more practical than you. And you can see that Matthew is hurt because he's in love with Mary. I can't understand him. And to be honest, I don't think there's a good side to this argument because Mary, she's a bit lost. And Matthew, he thinks it's, it's simple. You love me, you marry me. But I can't understand why it's not that simple. You know, it, it makes me think about um, a scene from Little Women, the one directed by uh, Greta Gerwig that went out in 2019, when Amy says to Laurie that marriage is an economic proposition. And yeah, I think this is true in a way that I'm not saying that love has nothing to do in it, but there's more to it, especially I think if you're a woman, because you do not have a lot of rights. And so obviously it's best for you if you can marry to someone who has nicer prospects. So being married to the heir of an earl is better than just to a country solicitor. So again, I do not believe that there's a right side to this argument. But then at the garden party, so the baby, well, there's no baby anymore. And so Matthew says that he will leave. He even said that before, if it's baby is the boy, I will leave. I will go back to Manchester. And Mary, well, she doesn't want him to go. And she says, well, you can't be sure that I would have refused you if it was a boy, because I'm not sure I would have. Like, she, she's lost. And then she tells him. So I've ruined everything. You've shown me I've been living in a dream. And it's time to return to real life. And this is really sad, like really that moment, I, I'm heartbroken too for them because, well, yeah, it's hard. And so Violet is a bit angry at Rosamond because she says, it's your fault. If you hadn't told her that, maybe she would have said yes and she would have think about what could have happened if the child was a boy. I'm sorry, Mama, but you know me. I have to say what I think. Why? Nobody else does. And that really, really sweet moment, Carson, he sees Mary crying. And so it goes to her and comforts her. And I really, really like this. And it's really sweet. And then, I mean, miracle. Violet and Isabel agree for once. Because Violet says, well, you know, I think she should have taken him. And it was a mistake not to say yes. And Isabel say, well, I think Matthew is making the same mistakes now. You know, like just, yeah, you know, okay, there's no baby anymore. So there's no problem. So just go get married with Mary. So not very happy ending for Matthew and Mary. They are brokenhearted. And so now is a good time to talk to you about my music of the day. And I promise you, this time, it is not a Taylor Swift song.
wrong Thinking that we'll lead on love But look at us now Two broken hearts on the ground So that was Look at Us Now by Celine Dion. Yeah, uh, I was listening to this music actually and I thought about that, about Mary and Matthew, like really look at us now. Two broken hearts on the ground and who would have known the future wasn't for us? Because now they're heartbroken. But the future is definitely not for them or for anyone because the future just took another turn because war is coming. So like I said, when uh, we realized that we are in July 1914. Even in the previous episode, we were in May uh, in 1914. So when you hear that date, you know that this is the beginning of the First World War. And you have signs because when they arrive at home after the season, Mrs. Yu says, well, nothing new except the murder of the Austrian Archduke. And that took place on the 28th of June. And even the servants, they talk about it. They say, well, war is on the way. Like, you're like, when, when is going to happen? And then you have the end of the episode. This scene, I love it. It's, it's just so beautiful. I love it. So Robert receives a telegram. And when he reads it, his face changes. And he asks for silence. And he says, Because I very much regret to announce that we are at war with Germany. And then we have everybody's reaction. This news. It's like a bomb dropping on everybody's head. It's, this is the worst thing that could have happened. Like half of the characters already were heartbroken. And that's just, you know, you're not dead yet. Well, let me give you a news that would just kill you. There was already a war not that long ago for them because we talked about the South African war. But this is different because it's war on the European soil. So you know that it's not good. And it makes me think about something that Mrs. Hughes said i think it was episode four when she is speaking with the man that she knew and wanted to marry her and she said suppose there's a war well here you have it the war is here so you know it would change life for everybody and first thing you think is yes all the men are going to have to go to war so thomas he was kind of clever about it well kind of because like i said not ready for what's going to happen. Bananas. And about this scene, actually, Julian made a comment about it and he said that it was a memory of his own father. And where well, his father at the time, he was only two, but he remembered it vividly. It is, I think, almost exactly like it was made. Like there was this kind of garden party and then a man came and just said, I very much regret to announce that we are at war with Germany. And everybody fell silent. And his father told him, maybe I remember it because it's the feeling that he had. You know, just everybody was like, it was fine. Everybody was outside having fun. And then just you say that and then there's silence and you feel like something has happened and something important. And so that the declaration of war, it was on the 4th of August, 1914. And I think this scene was a beautiful way to end the episode and to end the season. Because when they made this first season, they thought it would be the only one. So I think it was a really nice way to end it. And beautiful end the shot. Just ending it on Robert's face with tears in his eyes. I think it's absolutely perfect. And so to talk about my title, because I said the one with the soaps in the plural, because obviously I thought about Cora. 
and the soap, like the murder weapon. But I also thought about Daisy. And I thought that she deserved a bit of spotlight because she put soap in the soup. So that's why I said the soaps and not just the soap. And before um, wrapping this up, uh, it's already very long. I'm so sorry. I just want to talk about fan fictions because I love reading fan fictions. And I have to say, the people in this fandom, they are super talented. Like, so talented. Like, ugh, I love it. And I want to talk about that because, like I said, I wish that their baby had lived. Like, I so wanted them to have their little boy. And so I'm going to talk to you about three multi-chapter fan fiction where their little boy lives. So the first one, it's uh, The Life of Viscount Downton by Downton Bridgerton. And you can find it on Archive of Our Own. I think that's how you say it. And so it's really the life of the boy. So it's it just takes place when he's older. So it's like it's so it's around like the end of the show. And I really like it. It's it's so sweet because so she imagined everything, like how his life would be and his relationship with his sisters. So she kept how the whole show went, you know, who married who and stuff like that. And so you follow his life, so of Viscount, and so he's the heir. And I love it. It's very sweet. I love the character. So his name is Alexander. I love it. I love the character. I love what she did with the story. It's so good. I love it. Then you have The Most Miraculous One of All by And All That Michigas. And you can find it on fan fiction. And this one, I oh, love it too. It's different because it really starts with the scene when she's in the bath. Where does that change everything? But she changed things from the story. She took liberties with it and she didn't like follow the whole courses of everything. And, you know, she could have just changed. Oh, she didn't fail. And, you know, but she changed things. It's really good. I, I love it. Yeah, I love what she did with the characters. And um, I don't know what to say except that it's good. So there's no fast forward of multiple years like there's in the life of Viscount Downton. I really love it. And the last one, it's The Promise by a bumper prize. And it's also on fan fiction. And this one, on the contrary of the one I just talked about, she took the bath scene and just changed. Like, you know, the moment when O'Brien has a moment of doubt, where at that moment she arrives on time and Cora doesn't fall. And so I like it because it's just a tiny thing that changed. And I like it because I've seen that sometimes in books or shows on fiction that if you change just a tiny thing, how everything can be different. Like I said, it's different from the other one because in the most miraculous one of all, she changed more things. And in this one, in The Promise, she just changed that. So, you know, O'Brien changed her mind, Cora didn't fall, and she didn't lose the baby. And I love it. It's three different stories based on the same subject, like the same thing. It's the boy lives. It's like Harry Potter. It's the boy who lived, okay? Their writing style are different, but it's so good. I love it. And again, if you like reading new stuff, to be honest, since I discovered fan fiction on Downton Abbey, I've stopped reading real books. I'm just reading fan fiction. Oh, this is so good. But if you want to know what would have happened if the boy had lived, well, go check this out if you want. Hey, it's the editor again. Well, actually, it's always me, but it's just me in another, uh, how can I say that, space time? 
Yeah, let's just say that. After recording this episode, I discovered new fanfictions about the boy who lived. And so I wanted to share it with you. It's quite old, but I really love them. It's uh, on fanfiction. It's from Countess of Cobert. And the first one is Your Wish is My Command. There's 16 chapters and it follows Cora's pregnancy from episode 7 of the show to the birth of their baby boy. And it's adorable. And each chapter is centered around one character. So you have Cora and Robert a lot, but you have other characters like Mary or Sybil or Violet. And I really love it. I really love it. It's really good. And then you have Love Lost. It's actually a sequel from You Wish Is My Command. And so you follow the lives of all the upstairs characters through season two of the show, but with the little boy. It's not exactly the same. Well, actually, it could be how everything would have happened if the boy had lived, actually. But we don't know. But there's more change than just the little boy's there and everything is just the same but i really like it it's really very interesting and again it's it's 17 chapters and i loved it so i thought like if you don't know what to read and you want to try fan fiction well try this one too and the one i've taught you about or any fan fiction on this fandom because like i said the writers in this fandom are just so talented and that's why I wanted to talk about fanfiction, actually, because I want to give a little shout out to these writers that wrote things for free. Like, it's free. Do you realize that? It's free and it's so good. So, yeah. So thank you to all the writers out there. Really, I love you. You do an amazing work. And thank you again. So go check this out if you're interested. And I will leave you to the end of my episode. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. It is so long. I mean, it's going to last two hours. I'm so, so sorry. And next week, we're going to talk about season two. But before that, I will broadcast a little summary of the season. Well, a little. I talk a lot, so maybe not so little. But yeah, just to uh, make sure we have everything before starting season two. And also my thoughts about the characters, uh, what happened to them and stuff like that. And I will also have a special episode during the week. I hope you're excited about that because I'm very excited about it. So yeah, that's it for this episode. Truly, this is like actually the end. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, even if it's very long. About so the fiction, I would try if I can to put, like I would write the names in the description of the episode of the podcast. And if I can, I will try to put links, but I don't know if I can do that. But So I will at least put the names. So it'd be easier for you to find it if you want to read them. And so don't hesitate to subscribe, comment, review, send me a DM on any social media, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. I put every one of my social media in the description of the podcast. And if you want to talk to me about this season, about the movie, you can. I would love to chat with you about that. So before starting season two, you have two others episodes. So stay tuned for that. And until then, take care of yourself. And don't forget, vive le différence. Uh-huh.